Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, Elsie, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, Stacy. so thankful for you taking some time out. I know you're very busy um, to talk with us. Before we get into the good stuff, I'm really excited about this episode, by the way, not just because you're on the show, but I happen to think that, number one, your business model is fantastic, and I want to explore that a little bit, how you came to that point, because that didn't happen overnight, and you showed up well, like with an actual <laughs> microphone, and you're prepared and on time and all those things. But before we get into any of the good stuff, can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> so let's talk about that journey. Give us the two-minute version of how you came to the business that you're running today. So the the two-minute synopsis, which it's, it's an interesting story, so I'm going to do my best here and not leave out any of the juicy parts, was I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So you're the weird one at our Thanksgiving table if you have a W-2. Like we, like just a lot of entrepreneurs in our family. That doesn't mean we don't have W-2s. But so I knew from an early on age, I liked the schedule and a little bit of the freedom that came with being an entrepreneur. So I kind of always knew, yep, definitely going to own my own business. Then I got in corporate America and realized I don't really play that well in the sandbox. So I probably needed to be my own business owner. And so, you know, I did the corporate thing for a number of years trying to figure out, okay, if I was going to start a business, like what would the service be? Like, what is my area of expertise? What would I sell? And I actually started an HR, human resource consulting firm, and it would fail. And this would be my first entrance into business ownership that ended with business failure. And I ran that company for four years. And it wasn't like the company never got off the ground. It was like crash and burn in spectacular fashion. Like I had Ally Bank and uh, KPMG and some other large companies as clients. I had some smaller ones too. And so you would have thought at some point during those four years, wow, like this is pretty amazing. But it totally crashed and burned. I had to take down my shingle. I had to wave the white flag of surrender and go get a job and go back to corporate America, which is brutal when you have tasted entrepreneurial freedom. Even though entrepreneurial freedom is like a whole bunch of work, it's still your decision. <laughs> and that I think is the beauty of it. And so I was like, great. So I'm back in corporate America. I'm like, oh, where's my escape route? Like I need to get out of here. I got certified as a productivity coach while in corporate America, started that as my second business and started just really a coaching practice, helping business owners. And I like to work with business owners who were parents because that was my world. And so I was helping business owners that were parents with productivity. And then that kind of merged into overall general business coaching along with productivity. And I knew my business had to survive past the point of the no return failure that the first business had succumbed to. 
And so I was like, okay, we're going to have to do some things different. Realize what I did wrong from a business development perspective. I was like, okay, great. Now I'm going to try some new things. I'm going to get me some referrals. And I was like, wait, it's not actually as easy as people say, because the advice is horrible about how you're supposed to go about getting referrals, like asking and being gimmicky and paying. And so I just like threw a bunch of spaghetti on the wall. I was like, let's see what sticks. Let's see if I can generate referrals differently. I did my first year coaching practice, 112 referrals that I didn't ask for. And then my clients started asking me for that. They're like, thanks for teaching us to tame our inbox, but we really want to learn your referral strategy, which then made me figure out well, is it a strategy or am I just getting lucky? And it is, and it was. And so I reverse engineered what I was doing and I started teaching that to my clients. And we are now this year at our 10 year anniversary of teaching business owners how to generate referrals naturally in a much better way. And it's been a ride. And as you said, the business model has changed over time, but the focus and the goal to be able to help people avoid business failure and have a business success in a way that feels great, which in our mind is referrals without asking. Perfect. Now, a couple of things I want to hit on. So this isn't your first rodeo. That's the first point I want to make. And you learned from, you called it the failure in spectacular fashion. I want to explore that. <laughs> I want to explore that a little <laughs> bit because, right? Because we, as entrepreneurs on podcasts, we talk a lot about successes. How did you get to six? Six figures used to be the buzz. Now it's seven figures and then eight figures. And now eventually it'll be 12 figures. Right. Um, we talk about the successes. We don't talk a lot about the failure. So if you don't mind, share it a little bit. What was the thing that caused your business to fail in your words in spectacular fashion. Yeah. So I wish it was a thing, but with most things, there were a number of factors that led to my business failing. And I, you know, I just want to address the whole concept of failure. You know, early on when I would tell people my business failed, I don't hear it as much anymore, probably because I'm happy to talk about it. But early on, I would have people say, oh no, no, you didn't fail. You learned. I'm like, can we just call a spade a spade? Like my business failed. It didn't bring in any money. I mean, at one point my CPA was like, you can't even get like the childcare tax credit because you didn't make any money. Like the thing failed. And it, it it started out with a six-figure contract. So it started out like the best way possible, which probably led to its demise because it was almost too easy, let's be honest. And so, but I had like a six-figure contract with my very first client and then picked up clients from there. So the business was successful. It just didn't have, and this is the biggest thing I learned, it didn't have a sustainable way of filling that prospect pipeline. There was always feast or famine. There was always the entrepreneurial roller coaster of the highs and lows of like, hey, I've got a client. Yay, I'm doing something for the bank. Let me put my head down and do the work and then look up and be like, oh, snap, the work is done and there's not another client. Except for I kept saying, oh, snap, the work is done and there's not another client for four years, for over four years. Like, just didn't ever figure out that prospecting piece that, you know, filling up the prospect into the pipeline piece. And, but I did things. It wasn't like I was just sitting back and I was like, oh, I'm in denial. It'll come to me. Like, oh, just put it out there and it'll come to me. Like I was networking all the time. I was on every boarding committee you could be on. I was joining different groups. Like I was out there and I was hustling. But it was all in vain because it wasn't where I needed to be or how I needed to be spending my time. But I didn't know any better. I knew what I knew. And so that's what I did. And I'm also the mom of three kids. So really quickly, that will start to wear on you if the only way you grow your business is by always being out there and being seen and networking. And so for me, 
when the business was like, there's not any more clients, it wasn't like, wow, you haven't had income in a year. You should probably just shut it down. It was like, oh my gosh, we're doing this again. Like here we are at the four year mark and we're doing this. Like we have another situation where there's no more clients and now I got to go out there and hustle. And then the magic words were said to me at that point when I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go hustle again. This project is done and I have nothing on the horizon. And someone said, hey, I know someone hiring. And I was like, that just sounds easier. I'll just, it's never, it's never easier to go get that job. Right. But like, I was like, yeah, I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And apparently I'm not very good at this, but which is crazy because I was good at it. I was good at what I delivered to my clients. What I had to figure out was how to be good at the sales component, Mm -hmm. at that business development component. But let's be honest, we can do anything for a short amount of time. I wanted to be good at something that produced results that I felt good doing for a long time. And it was recognizing that while I was headed to corporate America and figuring out, well, how are other people successful? That really is what kind of repositioned my mindset when I started my second business. Now, you mentioned the key here was developing a sustainable way of filling the pipeline. And you kind of hinted on it earlier that you found that key was referrals, but you questioned if that was a fluke or if that was an actual you <laughs> if know, I was lucky. If a skill set. So talk <laughs> right. about the skill of referrals, right? Because it sounds great. It sounds like it makes sense. It sounds simple, but it ain't easy. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, because here's what we're fed, right? What we're fed in the marketplace today, and it's the same thing we've been fed for like not even decades, but generations, is that two schools of thought. And one is, hey, just do great work and your clients will refer you. Well, if that were true, none of us would have any problems getting the next 30 clients because all of our clients would continue to refer us if and when we did great work and they loved us. The truth is your clients love you. My clients love me. They don't all refer And so we're fed this myth that, hey, just do great work and you'll get referrals and it'll be great. That's not real because that's not how referrals work based on the science. And the other thing that we're told is, well, if you want referrals, then go ask for them. And for like 98.7% of people in the world, which is a totally made up statistic, but like for the majority of the people in the world, we're told, yeah, just go ask. Just go ask everybody all the time. Always be asking, baby. Just go ask for those referrals. Like it hits us in the pit of our gut and we're like, oh yeah, there's got to be a better way or no thank you. And that's the myth that we've been sold. Those are the methods that we've been told. Now the asking has shifted over time. Asking's still the biggest, but there's like, hey, well then just pay for them or just be gimmicky and network, right? Put in your email signature, the greatest compliment you can give me is a referral and that'll unleash a referral explosion. Really, has that ever happened for anybody? No, not consistently. Or just go network and know everybody and be in every leads group possible and the referrals will just flow in. And then you wonder why people quit the groups that they're in that are meeting every week when they're not getting that river of referrals, so to speak. So we've been fed these myths that this is how you make this happen. But we all are sitting around saying, so then why isn't it working? Why doesn't it feel good? Why isn't it easy? It's okay for things to be easy and still work. Not everything has to be hard. But what I realized with those two ways and that skill of referrals comes in with really understanding. And for me, I did throw spaghetti on the wall. And I was like, let's try this. Let's try this. It was like the opposite of everything I had heard. And then the referral started. And then I went back and paid attention. I reverse engineered. Well, then I was looking for the pattern, right? Well, what am I doing? Because I want to keep doing it. 
And that's what really created the strategies that I teach around referrals. And they're different depending on where you are in business and what you ultimately need. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach for every single business in every single situation for referrals, but there are a handful. And so it's understanding what we've been told is just a bag of tricks. And most of us are like, yeah, we're a little too smart for that. And we don't want to do that. So, but you do then have to understand what is happening from a science perspective with referrals when you're receiving them? And then what strategies do you build around that to be able to cultivate more referrals from how they're happening? And it was really, those were the, the when I figured out, wait, when we ask people for referrals, we're actually violating the science, which is why people run away from us when they see us coming at networking groups, right? Like, oh, I don't want to do, I don't want to be that person, right? And when we just wait for it to happen, we're using hope as a strategy and hope is a beautiful thing, but it is not a business strategy. And so these things we've been told, they violate the science behind what makes referrals actually happen. And it was just me figuring it out and uncovering that. And to be honest, it was over time that I was teaching it to my clients that I was like, oh, yes, that is working. It's not a fluke. It's not my personality. It, it's not that this just works for business coaches. It's not that this just works for extroverts who have as much energy as I have, right? It's not about being female, right? It's not about being younger. I like to think of myself as younger and probably considered older, but whatever. Like, it's not about those pieces to generate referrals. And so when I could eliminate all the things that made it about me, and then I could have people who are very different from me in very different industries with different genders and you know different extroverts versus introverts, and it worked for all of them. Then I was like, okay, it's just a strategy. And that's what we need to understand and deploy, but it's got to be rooted in all the ways that referrals actually happen. Could you give us an example? Now, I don't want you to give away the farm. I know this is what you do. This right. is how you feed the family. Um, yes. But maybe just a use case or a part of when a, a client got a result. And you guys went through your process. Oh my gosh, there's so many I would love to share. Like, who do I start with? I, you know, from the perspective of who I work with are typically people who are in business, whether they're in business development or they own their own business and they're building relationships. That's where my strategies are always going to work best. There's a lot of industries we don't focus on and we're not in because they just, they're not going to take the time to deploy the tactics that we ultimately end up teaching. But I'll talk about one of my favorites. So this is Amanda. And Amanda came to me, she was referred to me, of course, not all my clients are referred, but a lot of them are. She came to me as a referral. And basically she was like, I have one person, she, she's an attorney. She's like, I have one person who refers me. I get about six to seven potential cases a year from this one person and they're internal in our firm and they're going to retire. And I don't have any idea. She's strong introvert, amazing human, strong introvert. She's like, I have no idea. And in the, the personal injury space, which is not like she just did wills and estates, right? Like a hard space. And she said, I don't know how I'm going to make my part of the firm successful if he retires. And I don't get those cases sent to me internally. And so we had to start from scratch. Like it's, I, I'll be honest, it's easier for me to work with a client who comes to me and they're like, hey, I'm getting a dozen referrals a year or two dozen referrals a year or three dozen referrals a year. I've got people who refer me how do I get more, right? I'm like, okay, that's easy. That's like 
so much simpler versus someone like Amanda who comes to me and she's like, I got nobody referring me. I need people to refer me. And so I always try to manage expectations. This will take longer, right? We talk about helping people double, triple, or quadruple their referrals in as little as 90 days, but that doesn't mean it works that way for everybody based on where they're starting from. And so for her, we're like, we need people. And so she, I taught her a methodology that I teach to my clients about how we take clients and contacts, the right kind of contacts, identify them correctly, and turn them into referral sources. It's a strategy we call uh, behind the scenes, running five, keeping warm. And there's a specific way we cultivate that relationship. And we do it completely backwards to where how you think it would be done. We're not training anybody on how to refer you. That's not what we're doing. We're being a human through this process. And she started generating new people into referrals, referral sources and receiving referrals. And very quickly, she got 12 referrals. And then in her first year, she got 27. And then that continued to grow. And now she receives more than 40 referrals a year. She's added another attorney to her team. She allow, It allows her to be picky on which cases she takes. And she has this mechanism. And last year had her best year ever. And it allows her this mechanism to be like, this is how I run my firm. This is how I run my part of the practice is I do these strategies consistently every year the way Stacy's taught me and they continue to produce results. And we are, she is now in her ninth year following these strategies. So she was like one of my very, very first clients that I started teaching this to and getting this going for her. And it's been incredible to watch her do the work following the roadmap And then, of course, having that success. So we had to create new referral sources, and then we had to keep that going so they continue to refer her. But she always knows the skill of, hey, I think I want some new referral sources. She knows exactly what to do to re-implement that in her business to generate new people referring her. We teach a lot of other things. We call it the referral ecosystem within your business. But those are the two main strategies, and she needed both of them to be successful. Got it. How many, I heard you mention not all of your clients come to you for by referral. I'm just like the curiosity in me wants to know <laughs> what is that percentage? Well, it's well over 50% of okay. the clients that I'll bring on board will come through referral, but I do a lot of podcast interviews. So I will definitely have people who hear me on somebody else's podcast and then they'll come into my world. And it was a much, it's funny how this works, but until I published my book, which my book was published in 2000, t- towards the end of 2018, it was really a strong contention of referrals and then people hearing me on podcasts because I've been doing podcast interviews since 2016. And so those are, and then seeing me speak on stage. Those are my three ways. And I think diversification in your business development strategy is actually smart. Like that is a necessity. I don't like if you want to build a completely referable business, great. I'm happy to help you do that. But I'm actually going to tell you because I do it like referrals are evergreen, right? But we need multiple ways to bring in clients because that's just smart business in terms of that diversification. And so those are my three main ways and have been forever. It's, you know, the referrals and then it is podcast interviews and then seeing me speak on stage until 2018, really 2019 when my book was out. And now people are just finding the book or someone's recommending my book to them, but I'll never be able to track that because recommending a book is not the same thing as referring someone to be a client of mine. So people will pass along the book or recommend the book. And then the numbers kind of got skewed because people will be like, well, I don't know. So-and-so told me about you or I read your book first. And then someone said, oh, I also read her book. I work with her. She's great or whatever. So the numbers kind of got skewed once the book went 
everyone out there, but in a good way, because it's that's just SEO, right? At the end of the day. I mean, that is just more and more people finding it through the book. And then having my own podcast helps too. So, you know, the reality of it is I know though, when someone's referred to me, exactly how that sales process is going to go. When somebody comes in through one of the other mechanisms, like a podcast interview, or they read my book, but they don't know anybody who knows me or whatever, I know how that sales process is going to go as well. And I know my closing ratios and I know kind of what to expect. And that's not to say everyone referred to me as a fit, but it's interesting when you get really good at this and you track this stuff really well, is I know exactly what the sales process is going to look like for that referred prospect. Of course, that's also one of the things that we teach. But, you know, the idea there is, is looking at it from that perspective of you should have different strategies based on what's actually happening in your business. Mm -hmm. Being a podcast guy, and that being one of the things that we, you know, do in in my other business, it is literally music to my ears to hear you say... (laughs) That that's part of the way that you're, you know, developing business, uh, because I think people underestimate the power of conversation, the power of relationship and the power of giving value. Right. Which are all things that podcasts are great for. So that sidebar podcast guy happy. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So now you talk- I feel happy back for a repeat performance. Yes. <laughs> so you talked about tracking referrals. That's problematic. It's not that's one of the things that, that especially being in the in the world that I, I operate in, tracking where referrals came from, getting them through. I heard you mention you have a defined sales process. All those things in my mind come be, from being in business for a period of time. You start to recognize, document and refine processes. But I'm interested to to know how in the world do you track these referrals? Oh my gosh. It's actually one. I feel like there's a few um, drum beats or dead horses that I beat all the time. And the tracking mechanism is one of them because you don't need a fancy CRM or some fancy database, computer-based system for how you're going to track where your clients are coming from, which is ultimately going to help you track. So wait a minute, Stacey, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) uh, You just committed an offense. So you just said that you don't need a fancy CRM to track your referrals? Like. no, please you tell can me. have one. Please tell me more. Like I'm, yes. I'm all ears. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So you, okay, here's, here's what I, for everybody listening, there's like, but I have a fancy <laughs> CRM. Great. I love that for you. You should have it. You should probably keep it. The fancy CRM is only as good as the one that you open up every day. So hopefully you're doing that and you're using it. Right. But that's, and most people think there's gotta be some like fancy mechanism behind how we track. And I teach people, I'm like, it's called an Excel spreadsheet or a Google doc. Like, I do not need anything fancy. And actually, I need four columns on your tracker. This is not complicated. But what I need you tracking is when you get a prospect that comes into your funnel, right? And and I don't mean like if they come through like a leads, like a lead generator, right? Or some type of like lead magnet they can download from your website that you're going to, it's going to be hard to track those people. You'll eventually in terms of like where they came from. But if you're meeting your prospects, right? If people are being referred to you or you're meeting them at networking events, or they are feeling at a contact forum where you ask the question, how did you hear about us? Right? Like, any of the applications for people to work with me, they have to tell me, how did you hear about Stacy? Like it's a standard question that's like required, right? And sometimes they don't know. And so we take, I don't know, right? But like, that's fine. But you should be asking those questions through your processes or just when you're in that first conversation with a prospect, you could be like, hey, by the way, I don't think I know this, but how did you hear about me? It's a simple question. Most people kind of expect it. 
but tracking it should be super simple. So we're talking about four columns on an Excel spreadsheet or a Google spreadsheet, right? Like what I'm looking for is the date. I think it's important that you track the date. Now, one of the reasons why I tell my folks to track the date that that prospect entered their world is because you're not going to close every prospect. And we teach a strategy inside our coaching program at the beginning of every year. We remind our coaching clients exactly how you go back to anyone referred to you the year before that didn't become a client and the correct way to follow up with referred prospects from the year previous. So the date matters to me because I want you to be able to reference it. But whether it's the month, it's the date, it's the year, whatever, is a date column. The next column is the name of the prospect. Like, who is this person? And if you want to capture their company name, that's great too, right? If you have a place where you're tracking like their email address and their phone number and stuff, you don't need to put that in the spreadsheet, but you can. But I need you to track the prospect's name. Then the next column, the third column is the source. How did they hear about you? Did they come through a Facebook ad? Did they meet you at a networking event? Did they happen to work with you 20 years ago at the same company and now they do something where they can hire you, right, with what you're doing now? Or were they referred to you, right? Whatever it is, right? Have they just been a LinkedIn follower forever and finally decided to reach out to you? Whatever it is, track the source. And if it's referred to you, I want you to track that as the referral source's name. So it may say, you know, met at XYZ networking event. And then the next line down that was referred to you may say Stacy Brown Randall, because Stacy Brown Randall is the referral source. And then the fourth column is just the outcome. And you can track the outcome with a yes, became a client, no, didn't become a client, still in process, or you can track it by the revenue. Right? How much money did you make? Because at the end of the day, for every client you close, there's a dollar amount associated with them, at least in that initial revenue or that first year revenue. Track that as well. Because what that helps me see and what this would show you as the business owner is looking at it from the perspective of which sources are working. I can clearly see and can tell you I don't do math very well in my head when it's publicly because I feel like I'm being judged. So whatever 2016 is minus 2023, how many years is that? Oh, so now you're going to put it on me? Yeah, right. I'm doing it on my fingers almost, right now. Nobody can almost see seven me. years, I think. Okay, thank you. That's fabulous. Thank you for knowing that answer. <laughs> so the reason why I keep investing in being on other people's podcasts is because for seven years, I've had people tell me, hey, I'm your client now because I heard you on XYZ's podcast. So when that line item comes up every year in the budget, I'm like, yep, we'll be paying it. We will definitely be getting on other people's podcasts, right? And then when people say, hey, I found your podcast and I decided to become a client because I listened to you and I like you, right? And it's that no like and trust factor. And they're like, I'm like, yep, my podcast is not, they're not super cheap. They're not super expensive to produce, but they're not super cheap either. But yep, line item monthly, I'll be paying for that editing because Lord knows I'm not touching lips in myself. So like the reality there is that I know how to make decisions in my business because I track this stuff and I track it with a four column Excel spreadsheet to this day. Do I have a fancy CRM? Yes. Do we put things in both places, my Excel spreadsheet and my fancy CRM? Yes. Is that extra work? Yes. But when I'm being lazy or maybe I'm just trying to move really fast, I'll be honest, Excel just sorts faster for me and I just want all the stuff there. So my assistant puts it in two places. That's what we do. And so I want to track all this stuff because I want to know. Now we use that data in lots of ways with my clients and to do a lot of different things throughout the year. But you got to know where your people are coming from. It's super, super important. And it's an Excel spreadsheet. Like there should be no debate. 
right? As to whether or not you cannot open a spreadsheet file, whether you're doing it in Google Sheets or you're doing it in Excel, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like there's there's no debate here. It's pretty simple. Do you have to remember to update it? Yes, yes. You're gonna have to be a, a grown up, right? And you're gonna have to be a business owner grown up and track this stuff, but it's super valuable. Got it. So I wanted to reiterate enterprisers that are listening. Stacy Brown Randall has endorsed the process of podcasting a couple of few times. I want you guys to to track this pattern. We've talked about patterns and and figuring out what works and what doesn't. I feel like a street preacher on a soapbox when I'm telling folks, you you need to be in this space, whether you're guesting on shows, hosting your own shows. I always recommend doing both. You need to be in the space. So I have a person that has said it out of a mouth other than mine. Talk a little bit about the whole podcast world. No, actually, let me backtrack. I'm curious to know. I'm going to give you a two-part question. How do you use that data, what you're willing to share? And oftentimes, I've found that the referral piece is difficult when people don't know who their target is, and they're kind of everywhere. So I'd like you to address that a little bit. And then how are you using the data, what, what you're willing to share? Again, don't give away the farm. We know this is what you're, you get paid to do. So just some insight on that data and how to how to better focus entrepreneurs, especially B2B. For some reason, focus and clarity is an issue. And it's going to be really, really difficult to track referral sources and all that stuff if you're trying to serve everybody. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully you can remember both parts of your question because I'm going to dive into the first part of the data piece. Yes. And then you're going to have to ask me the second part again because I have it in my notes. It. I have it in my notes. Okay. We're good. Okay. Good. Good. Because I'm like, I've already forgotten it. My apologies. Okay. So we use that data in a lot of ways, but let me talk about the most powerful way that we use the data. And then I'll hit the other ways and kind of like a highlight reel. The number one thing that every single person who works with me, who decides, yes, I want to take control of my referrals, I want to get more referrals, I want to build a referrable business, the number one thing they all have to do, it's why it's also available for free, like I talk about on my podcast, it's in my book, it's on my website, and our resources link, is identifying your referral sources. And most people don't come to me with that tracker I just talked about for the last five years. Most people come to me and they're like, oh, I don't know. Some people refer me. It's great. I wish I could have more of them. And so I then have them recreate <laughs> that data from the last three to four years. You could just avoid that headache if you started tracking. Now, if you work with me, I'm still going to have you go back in time because there is power in knowing who's referred you over the last couple of years. That's how we talk about our categories, our types, and our statuses of our referral sources. Like We dig in on this stuff. This is not like, oh, maybe you one time said you were going to refer me and now we're just going to attack you. Like We know everything in, in terms of like the performance of our referral sources in the past. So we're going to identify who our referral sources are. If you have that data tracked, you already know, hey, I had 17 clients last year, or maybe your number's 33 or 92. I don't know. But here's where all of them came from. And here's all the people who referred me, a portion of those 92 or 33 clients from last year and the year before and the year before that. So the number one thing that we do for your low-hanging fruit in your business is if you have people who've referred you before, I want you to know who they are. 
because that's my fastest way to get you to triple, to double, triple, or quadruple your referrals in a short amount of time is by taking better care of in a different way based on science and the right language for those people who've referred you before. So if you have people who've referred you before, you know it because you've tracked it, right? We want to know who those people are because that's the fastest way I can get you more referrals. The example I gave you with Amanda, having to take brand new people who've never referred you, going to take longer. That's not happening in a couple of months. I mean, it could, but it's usually not, right? And so we just need to know where we're starting from. That's why that data is so important. But when you track that data, not only do you know who your referral sources are, so we know who to take care of to get more referrals from, but here's the other things that we know. And here's kind of like the highlight reel, and I can dive into any of them you want me to. But we know the relationship between the referral, like those clients that are being referred to you and those that are coming from other areas, like your podcast guesting, or you have your own podcast, right? So we can make smart business decisions on where we spend our time and resources. Diving in specific from a referral perspective, I can then see your closing ratio. I can recognize, oh, you got a low closing ratio for the referrals you're receiving. Why is that? I can dig into individual referral sources and your closing ratio by them to realize maybe it's actually how the referral source is setting you up. We can work on that. I can also pay attention to quality issues. Are you getting referred a whole bunch of people that are not your ideal client? Well, while it's lovely to get referrals, it's better to get referrals that can actually pay you money. So we talk about quality issues from there as well. And then we use that information as part of our strategies because knowing who's referred you throughout the year helps us as we're building out your year-long plan and the things we're going to do the following year that only allows us to take better care of your referral sources. So then we also use that data to support some of the outreach or touch points we do for our referral sources as well. So that was a lot, but we use all that data a lot. It's very valuable. Good stuff. Good stuff. So the second part of that question, according to my notes, is focus clarity. And because I heard you say that your your business model shifted in a way that fit your life, not the other yeah. way around. So yeah. talk focus clarity. How does that impact the quality of the referral, the close rate, and the basically the, the whole the whole shebang? Okay, so this is such a good question because the truth is, yes, I have def and I just did a whole podcast episode on this. It was episode 251, actually, this week. I don't know when this is going to go live, but the time of our recording, episode 251, Business is Never a Straight Line. That episode went live on my podcast, Roadmap to Referrals. And I talk about the different models I've had and I talk about what prompted the shifts. Right. I had no idea from day one to day 10 that I would have the number of different business models I've had. Right. You like do business, you consume information, you figure out what you like, what you don't, the pros and cons. And you're like, I wonder if I could shift this differently. The thing that people need to recognize is that I'm not necessarily interested in having the biggest scalable business possible. I've got three children, two are biological, one is not, and being an ever-present mom and dealing and helping them with all the things that I want to do as a mom is really important to me. So I, I hate it when people say lifestyle and then people think I'm sitting on a beach. I'm not. I'm sitting in like a little like office at the end of my driveway, 15 feet from my kitchen. <laughs> Right. Like I just, it's not lifestyle in terms of, oh, I just passive income just comes in and I don't work at all. And I just sit on the beach all day long. I mean, if I don't want to start until 9 a.m. in the morning because I want to be present to getting them out the door and then I want to work out, I want that. If I want to be done at 3 p.m. because, well, usually I'm just tired and my kids are starting to come home for school or the Uber mom driver has begun, I want to be present and I don't want to be on my phone every time I'm in the car with them. Right. So, 
I have built a business that has satisfied, yes, my financial desires. Like, I think you can work as little as you want and make as much money as possible. Fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I have made sure that the business has always fit the lifestyle. And I learned that through trial and error. So I went from one-on-one coaching. Well, you're going to tap out when you run out of hours to sell. Then I went to the online course model. And while it's I was going to say fun, but I would be lying. It's like kind of fun. That launch model is really, really hard. And I lacked and missed the connection with people. And then through a few other trials and errors, landed at this coaching program that I have. Yes, my online programs are still available. If the coaching model is not right for you, you can certainly, you know, come into one of my online programs and learn a strategy and go implement that and have success. But if you want to build a referable business, we have the Building a Referable Business BRB coaching program that is specific to, hey, you're going to get all 19 strategies, but I'm going to tell you what to do every 30 days that you're with me for an entire 12 months. And we are going to look at the ecosystem of your referrals. And I'm going to be able to tell you where to start so I can get you the fastest win possible because that keeps your motivation going. And I want you to get your ROI in the program as quickly as possible. And so we are locked and loaded on this. And we've only been doing the coaching program for a couple of years, but I kind of like meandered my way to it by paying attention to what was fun in my business, what was heavy in my business, what I enjoyed, what I didn't enjoy. And I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. Like I actually had some business mentors that were like, this is what you need to do to kind of think this through. And I spent time thinking about it and then built something. And then thank goodness I launched it and it was successful because I've launched things before that like, like nothing came out of them. Right. Like, so, you know, I've had it all. So, and it has provided focus and clarity like never before within my business. But I, I did have to go through some trials and error to get there. And I did have to start paying attention to what do I like and what do I not like? And being able to answer that question was really important, but you never can answer that question. What do I want to do? How do I want to show up? What do I want my days to look like? You're not allowed. I personally believe you're not allowed as a business owner to ask that question in a vacuum. It always has to be asked with this next question, which is, and then where do my clients get their best results? Those two things, I just think if you're going to take someone's money, have to be together in terms of where do my clients get their best results while I can also show up the way I want to show up and with the schedule that I ultimately want to have. I figured that piece out with my coaching program. And that has made all the difference over the last couple of years with my business. Now, I know this is going to be very, very hard, Stacy. but what is the biggest business lesson that you've learned? You will never know it all. So just be willing to ask for help. It is okay to show up. I'm an expert in referrals. Ask me anything. I just had a client tell me the other day, she was like, you have an answer for everything. I'm like, with referrals, not like with QuickBooks, right? Like I'm an expert where I'm an expert and I'm very confident in my ability to help the right kind of people that I'm able to help, right? But I know I don't know what I don't know. And so when it comes to other things, I don't need to be the expert. I don't need to be the business owner who knows everything. I need to be like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to hire you because you know, because I'm going to be the expert over here. And that is probably one of the biggest lessons because I feel like when we become business owners, we're like, all of a sudden we got to know it all. Like, oh, I know how to do that. I can do that. I can do everything. 
Not usually. Usually we became business owners because we're really, really good at something. And then we had to figure out all the other things that go along with running a business. And so asking for help, having coaches, being in a mastermind, you know, getting mentors to help you, like paying somebody to help you when you need to learn something. Like it's just all very, very valuable. Got it. What are you most excited about for the rest of this year? I, wow. What am I? Mo- well, all my vacations. <laughs> That's actually what I'm most excited about. So where, where are we going? We are going to Portofino Island, which is down below Pensacola. Pensacola, Florida. We are going to, we go to a family camp every year in um, Pennsylvania, which I'm very excited about. And then we're going on an Alaskan cruise. um, My husband's mom and my mom. Yeah. So we've got some really fun. And then hopefully my husband and I will go somewhere together, even if it's somewhere small, but yeah, we've got a lot of vacations coming up. And I would say that that's what I'm looking mo- uh, most excited to because you want to know the difference between my husband and I when we we're putting these things on the calendar. I'm like, how much time can I take? I'm going to take this week and this week. And he's over there calculating his PTO. He's like, wait a minute. Do I have enough? Do I got to make sure I got enough? I got to, I got to, you know, and I'm like, and my husband owned a restaurant for almost 15 years. And so he's now in corporate America for pretty much the first time in his life. I'm like, I think you're too old to sit in a cubicle, but he's doing it and he loves it and he's great at it. And he's in sales. So he has some flexibility but he works for a company. And so like, he's running the PTO. Wait, that was our text thread yesterday. I was like, okay, Florida's booked. And he was like, okay, this is how many PTO hours <laughs> I have left. I'm like, not my problem because I get to just make it up as I go. And that's probably what I love the most. Yeah. What is the biggest life lesson you've learned? That failure can be beautiful. It really can. I believe in my world, God's got his hand in everything that happens to me, good or bad, but not necessarily because he's trying to make me be tortured, right? Like just that the lessons that I learned that what comes, it feels like it's terrible. It's like the the worst thing that could happen. I mean, business failure is hard financially, emotionally, mentally, but it kicks your ego's butt. And for me, overcoming and realizing that he used all of that for good is a really powerful lesson to always remember that there is beauty in every lesson, even the ones we don't want to learn. And sometimes learning them is the best things that can be for us, even when they're difficult. I think that beauty can come from anything. And there are some pretty awful things that happen in our world. I don't think it's beauties in the moment of those things happening, but I think that they come on the back end of those things. And there are lessons to be learned and there's beauty to be found. And I think that's just a really important lesson for people to remind themselves when they're in the valley and not on top of the mountain, because we're never always in the valley and we're never always on top of the mountain. Yeah. And the thing that I love the most about that is that we're never alone. Right. In either of those places. This has been fun. I've learned a lot. I have several pages of notes. I, I need to go in and look at my referral strategy and figure out how to tighten that up. If people want to reach out to you, learn more about you, your book, your podcast, your business, all the great things you have going on. How can they do that? Yeah, I feel like I want to tell everybody where to find me in all the places, but let's just do with one, right? The home base is the website. It is the place where you can find information on our podcast. You can find information on my book. If I ever publish my second book, you can find information about it there too. All the social media links that I'm on as well. And that website, it's just my full name, stacybrownrandall.com. There's even, a we have it right there on the homepage about how you work with me and your different options, like everything you can need is on that website, stacybrownrandall.com, and Stacy is spelled with an E. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Stacy. Thank you for having me. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. 
Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.